I'm Steve, and back again, it's Jack Easton. Great to be here. Can't wait to discuss this. We're, we're back to the, the meat and potatoes of the Optimism Vaccine Register. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we are, we are men of the people, so this is, of course, our, our Patreon poll episode, and uh, so many wonderful options for them to choose from, uh, all hidden behind some very cryptic text that many people probably could not decipher, so... Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably just voted for the thing that sounded the least like hardcore pornography to them. So, yeah, here we are. Uh, also joining us, Adam Myros. Yeah, I, I feel like you really set the poor patrons up for failure here. This is going to be like the shortest episode we ever record. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's all right. We're covering an important cultural figure. That's what matters. And a lot of, lot of extra uh, research went into this episode because... Uh, we are talking about uh, the cinematic triumphs of one Brett Michaels, lead singer of the band Poison, master thespian, producer, director. What doesn't he do? Who's to say? So you and, you did this research, I must assume? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got nothing but time. I don't know if you know, I'm a full-time podcaster right now. So I, I've got plenty of time to do research. <laughs> Just Fair enough. Nothing I, but I'm sure he was, he was fired from his job for being too real, spreading the gospel of Brett Michaels. That's, yeah, that's that's what I did. I, uh, I I went up to one of my coworkers and said, you know, I was just watching the decline of Western civilization part two, and at the 28 minute mark, Brett Michaels says he has a 16 inch long penis, and then I got fired. Can you believe that? <laughs> What does the world come to? See, I feel like uh, the the three hours I put into this is uh, just three hours too much already. So the research, well, Adam, was, was Adam, as you, as you know, one of one of the the women in Rock of Love, as as she said so eloquently, every thorn has a rose. Yeah, which is uh, true. Which is not true. wrong. Yep, probably. Yeah. There, I don't think there's thorns in anything else. I'm not going to check that, but that seems that checks out for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it and makes uh, sense. Because I am dedicated to Optimism Vaccine, dedicated to this podcast, and uh, also dedicated to bullying my friends, uh, Jack was actually over uh, this past weekend, and what did I do? Had a few drinks, and uh, I made him watch Rock of Love with me. So Eye-opening experience. <laughs> you gotta open great. your eyes and get the bleach in there, because, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, it's great. You know, as much as I love watching Rock of Love, I love watching someone else watch Rock of Love for the first time even more. There's, there, I just kept looking at Jack and giggling. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like <laughs> Brett Michaels rolling up to a gaggle of women who look like they were scraped off of a bar floor and just saying, you're all so beautiful. It's absolutely <laughs> remarkable television, and I'm not sure how this show was ever made legally. It doesn't seem right. I, it's, it's so good. Nothing about the show seems right. And I, I gotta love and respect a woman who is 31 years old, but looks like she's 70. Holy like, shit. I don't even know how you it's do that. incredible. We're all about body positivity, body well all. but we're all about body positivity <laughs> on the show, you know, live and let live and everything. But they're just, it just seems like an aggregate of mistakes in that show. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's rough, rough going. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's kind of the way like VH1 was like a secret uh, stash for the really unethical reality programming in the early days, I must say. Oh, I wouldn't absolutely. think VH1 would be the source for such things, but 
Most of it is pretty reprehensible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, that's why it's the best. Like, reality TV 2007 to 2009, absolutely nothing better, I would say. And, you know, I, on top of that, every time I watch Rock of Love, it, like, peels back a layer of my brain that just, like, it, it just reveals memories that I forgot that I had. And I was thinking about this, Myers. Do you remember the the rock and roll super group VH1 show? Yeah, quite reprehensible. Uh, you know, you got some <laughs> you got some Nugent material that would not air on television today. I don't think. No, and then Sebastian Bach and Ted Nugent were just arguing over the name of the band, and Ted Nugent wanted to name the band Raw Dog, but Sebastian Bach wanted to name the band Savage Animal, and his reasoning was no. Rock and roll is a savage edible. And he just kept saying that over and over again. It's it's so good, man. Like, just beautiful, beautiful shit. Uh, yeah, just only watch VH1 uh, up to and including 2009. And that's it. That's all you need in your life. There's nothing else, really. Yeah, you got all. like the, that whole arc of Danny Bonaducci going berserk. You know, there's just all sorts of stuff in, in those shows. And then it's, it's the treasure oh, trove. Oh, yeah. It really is like Vern Troyer and his little fucking scooter just oh like my. pissed himself blind <laughs> drunk. Danny Bonaducci roided out, literally roided out like a fucking old man carrot top, just getting jacked and raging. Oh, so good. So good. Uh, fucking Bronson Pinchot is a total sex pest. Like it, all these things that, that we previously would, would you know, we, we forgotten about completely just out of the cultural conversation. Uh, could Bronson Pinchot be on TV? No, never again. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, the that Charles in charge guy too. He he had he had quite the run. Not Bayo, oh, yeah. the uh, the the sidekick. Oh yeah, sidekick guy. Yeah, he's a little fucking creep too. Who also All plays Bible are. Man, I believe. Yeah, shout out to Bible Man. I think it's wild because probably VH1 went more legit with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race because that like didn't that graduate mm -hmm. to VH1. It was like it got bigger there. And honestly, looking back, oh, yeah. it's is probably far less outra show than any of the stuff that you're talking about there, which is great considering it's about like drag subculture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, RuPaul's drag race is it's, you know, it's fun and it's raunchy, but in a celebratory yes. way, whereas rather uh, the raunchiness of, you know, something like Brett Michaels, rock of love. It's uh, it's, it's coming from a purely exploitative. Yeah. Yeah. Place. I mean, there's I plenty Plenty of contestants in, in on RuPaul's Drag Race that certainly have, you know, they tell their stories and you feel, you know, like, oh, that's very sad. But at no point are you supposed to just pity them as miserable fuck-ups. That's not really what the <laughs> yeah. show is about at all. Yeah, I'm that's pretty sure the, the MO for, like, that era was like, let's get a bunch of celebrities who uh, have horrible addiction problems and dump a fucking half gallon of vodka down their throats. It's like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Well, and Brett Michaels is like, same thing on his show, except instead of them being celebrities, they're just like, you know, random women with horrible addictions. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, in, in season three of Rock of Love, uh, there's this girl who is just constantly like just straight chugging from tequila bottles. It's, it's very deeply <laughs> unhealthy. And at one point, there's a girl who is straight up like, I'm not feeling Brett. I don't like him. And then there's another girl who makes out with Brett Michaels drummer. And then there's the tequila chug girl. And it comes down to eliminations and he only eliminates tequila chug girl. And he's like, yeah, I had to get rid of her because she's always on the verge of just like falling over drunk. 
and she kisses me and she always tastes like throw up and Doritos. <laughs> like, <laughs> amazing. He's like, I would rather have someone on this show who's making out with my drummer than the alcoholic Dorito woman. And he just and he just cuts her not because he's concerned for her health. <laughs> because he doesn't just want to kiss her. Dragging him down. Yucky. I mean, like to you know, yeah. some it's probably the most positive thing we are gonna say about Brett Michaels in this entire episode is you know, if he at least looks out for his drummer, that's something. Yeah, he does. Cause he man, does. everything but, else he does not great by my estimation. Well, he must no, be but, he must be good at at the gym, I guess. He's quite cut for 1998, uh, these films. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's gone by Rock of Love era. Pretty well, he's even more, he's even more here, he's, uh, you know, Poison is long burned out. I would have assumed he would be rocking like a beer gut, you know, not not this. Oh, yeah, like that fucking cherry pie guy. What happened? <laughs> you remember him? Yeah, look up, look up the guy from Warrant talking about cherry pie on like VH1 behind the music circa 1999. He looks horrific. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, and the most of the guys from that era, they didn't, they didn't exactly age well, uh, but Brett Michaels kept it together and he knows he kept it together because in his feature film debut that he stars in, wrote, directed, produced, and created music for, of course, we're talking about a letter from death row in 1998. Uh, the real star is not Brett Michaels acting, which is a lot worse than you actually think it would be. Uh, the, the star is his penis V. Can we believe the penis V on this man? He's cut. It's like a fucking cheese grater. <laughs> he's cut and he's going to let you know it. That's. Oh, yeah. Because like, yeah, every single shot that he can not wear a shirt and show off the peen V, he's doing it, man. Just the oh, strongest yeah. peen V in the game. For sure. For sure. I, uh, I mean, but... I guess he softens his like terrible acting by surrounding himself with even worse actors. <laughs> That's yeah, the but key. It's, it's weird because, you know, the, the woman who plays his love interest in this, uh, is it Christy Gibson? Yeah. She is, I, I do not think she is classically trained or an exceptional actress, but she's fine. Mm -hmm. And I, I think if she was in any other feature film, she would probably be less than fine. But because she's alongside Brett Michaels, you're like, holy shit, he's like distracted. This is a regular, I think, DTV kind of like, uh, scenario, right? Because because I think she was like his girlfriend. We talking about the the woman who's murdered in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the so yeah, I mean, the most she, beautiful woman in the world, or yes. what the fuck ever. She shows <laughs> up and she does a stripping performance, and then she hooks up with Brett Michaels, and she gets up murdered, ends up murdered, and he gets framed for her murder and gets put in prison. But I I think this is a pattern. Or was I, he, Jack? Or was, or was he indeed? He? <laughs> we will get into the nitty gritty of that in in just a little Never bit, I'm know. sure. But um. There, there is this thing I've noticed in in DTV action movies, particularly, is that the women in them, they tend to be, you know, like they're not necessarily actresses by profession, but a lot of them, I think, do come from like beauty pageants or from stripping and various other things that have a lot of like customer facing kind of pure presentation kind of things. And they're just, you know, they're 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 attractive women. They just deal with men a lot, I'm sure, in their lives. There's there's a natural like acting ability. I think all of these kind of women have achieved, even the ones who end up in these movies, that makes them they're much more natural actors than say Brett Michaels, who has no idea what he's doing. And so he's mm -hmm. out there like shooting out every single line like like a 
I don't know, like, he just spits out every line. He, like, shouts and alternates, he whisper and shouting wherever to, you know, like, emphasize his dramatic chops. And she just kind of plays off him by being very, honestly, pretty straightforward and kind of just being quite natural. And she absolutely just effortlessly acts him off the screen in her very short period <laughs> in the film by basically just being kind of normal. And, of course, what would happen mm. next is that he she dies and she never appears in the film again, but Brett Michaels is in every fucking scene from then on, which is a major disappointment. I mean, disappointment. don't worry about it. We're, we're gonna, we'll surely replace her with, uh, like, the fucking prison guard and warden who uh, <laughs> are equally naturalistic in their delivery. Right? <laughs> Indeed, yes, from the Brett Michaels school of thespianism. Uh, well, to, to Brett Michaels' credit here, I think a, a weaker man would be embarrassed by this creation. And w would try to bury it. But Brett Michaels, he's loud and proud talking about his film career. If you go to his website, not only is he prominently advertising his latest, latest solo tour, which is called the Brett Michaels Party Gras Tour, in case you're wondering. Myros, are, have you got your tickets? No, I booked up. Uh, unfortunately, I booked up with that uh, Kevin Smith uh, cruise. So I, I can't go to both. <laughs> I was washing my wig and bandana the day they were passing through here, so I wasn't able to wasn't able to go. But yeah, he's like he's very proud of the work that he's done. And to before we talk about this movie more, just to kind of contextualize, like why did this happen? Why does Brett Michaels, like ten years post Poison, um, or well, like I guess peak Poison, we'll say, why does he get a movie? You know, I, I think their last hit was probably in like 1990, maybe 91. Um, and then they had an album in 93 that completely bombed and then it was pretty much done from there. So why five years later after that bomb, does he get a film career? And the answer is because he's friends with Charlie Sheen. And this is not like young star Charlie Sheen. This is not comeback Charlie Sheen. This is not AIDS Charlie Sheen. This is not the like 2011 yelling about tiger blood Charlie Sheen. This is peak cocaine Charlie yeah, Sheen. This is like the uh, arrival era Charlie Sheen. Yeah, this is I was like, half expecting him to be like bloated and have that terrible goatee but unfortunately. Mm -hmm. This is like right before he OD'd and was sent to the hospital and escaped from rehab and like right after he accidentally shot his girlfriend in the arm. So, <laughs> you know, uh, not the best time for him. And, you know, him and Brett Michaels were buddies and they would party together. Uh, Brett Michaels said that he taught Charlie Sheen how to trash a hotel room, which Charlie Sheen was very impressed with. So they're, they're the best buds. And what do you do when you have a best bud and a cocaine habit? Uh, yeah, I, I guess you need a lesson. I didn't, I thought <laughs> you just fuck shit up, but what do I know? Hmm. Uh, and when you have a best bud and you got some money and you got a lot of cocaine, what do you do? You start a film production company. And there's actually, they, they did produce a few movies that I think made money and that people have heard of. Uh, prominently Money Talks. You remember Money Talks with Chris Tucker, directed by Brett Ratner? No. Anybody? No. Nobody? I, never, okay. I never watched it, but I, I think I'm vaguely aware of that. Yeah. It exists. It's one right. of those things where if you if you look up the poster right now, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> there was a trailer for it. Uh, so a, a few things that maybe made some money, but a lot of things that you never saw, in, including Letter from Death Row. And I think the commonality here is 
the more Brett Michaels involvement, uh, the, the worse things got. To the point where around the time of No Code of Conduct and A Letter from Death Row, which were kind of like back-to-back, basically, uh, Brett Michaels and Charlie Sheen were actually sued by producers because uh, the producers were owed a certain amount of money which could not be paid adequately. So uh, they, were, they were in a bit of hot water here. But anyways, A Letter from Death Row. Uh, I, this movie is is pretty incredible, and I think a lot of people call it, it's one of the worst movies ever made. And honestly, I mean, maybe, but it, it isn't because it's like a, a, a chuckle a minute, you know, laugh fest of a, of a disaster. It really is just kind of cringy and boring the whole time. It, it, it's... It's a whole, like, it's a whole lot of nothing, and it's fucking convoluted. So we get it. He definitely saw Natural Born Killers. I understand that. Um, I think Natural Born Killers, and I also really think this might be, like, a dumb man trying to remake Lost Highway, which came out, like, a year prior. I think definitely those are, that's what he's aiming for. This is definitely, like, this is his, like, philosophical hunk moment where he's trying to get into some deep shit but also he can't stop doing sit-ups to, like, write a coherent script. Um, the difference is, is I, I don't know if he's he's trying to go for a coherent narrative and, and not just, like, the ride the bad vibes of A Lost Highway, uh, but, uh, goddamn, after he gets to prison, I couldn't tell you a fucking thing that happens in this movie, really. Like, no, no, it's, it's totally... I mean, it's it's vaguely, only barely, like, comprehensible in the early part. But essentially, yeah, he, he gets framed. Obviously, he gets framed for this woman's murder. He He's sleeping with her, having an affair with her. And he goes into the bathroom to have a long conversation with himself in the mirror when he's supposed to be rushing because her husband's getting home, which is very confusing in and of itself. Yeah, but he in smokes, that, like, three cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, you got to get out Inside of here, Mike. Inside, in front of the bathroom mirror. <laughs> yeah, you know. So so he does all of this, and in the interim, he's in there for so fucking long, his, his girlfriend is murdered, and uh, it's on <laughs> tape. And and so, you know, he was pretty... Which he kind of deserves it, honestly. Yeah, not the most... Like, he blasts three fucking cigarettes... And then at one point, right as she's like getting choked out, he's like, hey, babe, going to jump in your sauna for a minute before I take a shower. (laughs) Her fucking husband's coming home. The whole house is going to smell like smoke and your fucking sweaty ass is going to be walking out of a sauna. Uh, unbelievable yeah so so you know it's already we could say maybe he's already sowing sowing the seeds of 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 the the alternate realities of Lost Highway. But uh, he mm-hmm. he gets thrown yeah. in he gets thrown in prison and then pretty quickly the film becomes this like thing where where his character is also writing a book about his own experience and he keeps reading out pages of the book that are in fact the script for the movie we're watching <laughs> and then kind of like saying things like and then you know I didn't kill her or did I and he just keeps like every single thing is just him kind of looking at the screen and going. Is any of this real? And it's like it it who who cares? You know, like you you have to make it matter whether or not it's real. You know, because because without that kind of like sensibility, you know, like an unreliable narrator is a thing, and you use an unreliable narrator to comment. You know, the 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 unreliability of the narrator is supposed to construct some kind of other meaning adjacent to the text. What they're what they are creating. Uh, you know, whereas if it's just the narrator kind of going, is any of this real? 
all you've basically invented is just the concept of fiction. It's a man making mm-hmm. things up. And usually you'd leave that part out of the movie. You wouldn't yeah, bother with that. that. You just got put that in good the... lampshade at the end too, where he's like, I don't even know what the fuck. It's gobbledygook where it's like a good writer can make you care and a great writer can make you believe. And it's like, why would you put that in this movie? It's like, what are you just telling us? Uh, this is neither of those things. That's for fucking yeah. No reason to care. Absolutely do not believe any of this. This movie barely makes me believe Brett Michaels' hair. Which is yeah. like it's it's just not working. <laughs> it's true because he wears the bandana and then his his hair is so silky and you wonder, is that real? And then they shave his head at one point. Yeah, they very pointedly and... shave his head so he can be bald for the rest of the movie. And I'm just thinking that's because they realized he probably couldn't just wear the bandana hair combo mm-hmm. in a prison movie without it looking real goofy. Oh, I thought it was yeah, just because he, he wouldn't agree to a prison rape seed. So they're like, we're gonna <laughs> substitute a prison shaving. Uh, he's the, the writer director who's, who's forcing this on him well yeah. you know he, he, these are choices he saw Oz or something he was like yeah, well I yeah. guess they're supposed to put in this but uh, no I'm not doing that <laughs> I do like how he, he gets sent to death row and they do him a solid and they're like you know what you can keep your bandana for sure and also your jean jacket because <laughs> it's fine just, just keep it on you're doing great. It's the most orderly wow. death row because they're like, I, they, they, everyone gets put on there. There's like five cells, and it's like, and by the way, I'll let you know, you're all going to get murdered in like two years. And it's like, what death row in America runs this well? Like, you know, this quickly. <laughs> no, you're going to be there for 20 plus years. You always are. Mm-hmm. The warden runs a tight ship, Jack. <laughs> Obviously yeah. so. Oh, and what what a, a cast of degenerates here on death row. We've got uh, <laughs> the evil priest. Lucifer powers or is he evil I mean, that's I just thought like if your name is Lucifer powers they that you they automatically don't let you into the priesthood like isn't that a red flag I mean, certainly Lucifer is a hell of a name to bring to the seminary that's probably gonna get <laughs> some yeah. side eye you know even for the most I mean maybe not his fault clearly his parents are dicks but I they didn't really set him up for success I don't think you could do anything with the name Lucifer. Imagine putting that out of fucking Yeah, resume. it's curious. And of course, Lucifer T. Powers, the, the priest who's been maybe wrongfully convicted of, of murderers, of murdering a, a, a altar boy he probably had sex with too. I don't remember if they actually even mentioned that. No, uh, no, no, no. He's just not murdering convicted it. of that, Jack. You've okay. invented that in your own I've invented that. mind. Is it, is it real, Adam? Who knows? <laughs> Uh, he, he, of course, is the, he branches out to the fact that this movie then goes into like a political conspiracy element, which makes exactly as little sense as everything else in this movie. This movie is like there's always something happening. There's always some kind of like a new dimension being added. None of it like none of it adjoins comfortably to what happened previously. And there's it's just really, really difficult to kind of like maintain the basic attention to like kind of care because it's still edited in that like late 90s early 2000s like hyper juddery stylized way um which which is is bad even in a movie that's like halfway like has a halfway competent script but in a movie like this it really it just becomes difficult to kind of consider like why why is this happening again who's this do we is this important what's this conversation about it's this one is tricky well, the plot's not helping out there because it's like, I don't know, what is, I, I, I mean, I, I guess the, the end result is probably none of this is fucking transpiring because Brett Michaels is just a twisted maniac, but 
I mean, like, what is supposed to be happening? They set it up the whole time, like, oh, the governor's just, like, crooked and running roughshod over everyone. And then at the end, it's like, no, the governor's a nice guy, stand-up gentleman. Too bad he hired this aide who wants to sleep with him, so she goes around framing people for murder for some reason. <laughs> I, it's just it's perplexing stuff. It's just so convoluted. It's like... Rather than having, like, one twist that fits in with anything, they have, like, ten twists. And no, like, at no point do they establish what they're twisting from. The film's just a <laughs> series of unexpected developments because nothing is interconnected whatsoever. Like, the, the closely comes to a connective thread is the fact that it, first thing in the movie introduces us to Father Lucifer Powers, and then later on he shows up on death row and it's like, okay, so those two scenes connect. Everything else mm. in between is is less convincing, shall we say. But what, like, I just don't, like, play by some basic rules if your death row guy's loose for powers. Like, that's, that's, your, that's your guy. We've got, like, four people on death row, and loose for powers is not even one of them. He's in fucking solitaire the whole goddamn time. He's like, <laughs> he's like why don't you make him, like, his bunk mate or something? Have that cell next door. Oh, he's built this relationship with old Lucifer. It's like... No, no, the guy's just barely in the fucking movie. <laughs> There's this great scene where he first gets on death row and it's like the camera just pans across all of the other cells with all the other prisoner characters in it and they all just ex like deliver extended exposition to try and catch you up on everything you're supposed to know to like have the film be interesting. And it's just a testament to how this film is. Um, certainly feels like a first draft, but like it's it's just a... Yeah, there, there's just so many basic blunders and kind of, like, developments that don't seem tethered to any kind of thematic or dramatic effect at all. It's it's just a really weird kind of a movie. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's and, and of course, then we do, we do have cameos. We have Charlie Sheen shows up as a cop for about three seconds. Martin <laughs> Sheen shows up as uh, Brett Michaels' father. For about what, like a minute in a scene, and just basically like shows Brett Michaels up as an actor even worse than anyone else in the movie because he's Martin Sheen. He just could do this in his sleep. Um, really, really compelling stuff. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I, I actually love the Martin Sheen moment because I, I mean he is second build behind Brett Michaels, and he's in the movie for about two and a half minutes, but. You really want to talk about someone who could show the inadequacies of Brett Michaels' acting skills. My God. <laughs> Martin Sheen just... Martin Sheen's like, you know what? I'm not going to dial this in. I'm going to come in and I'm going to give like my Oscar-caliber performance for 90 seconds and make Brett Michaels look like a complete clown. <laughs> and, uh, boy, does he ever. That's great, because it that seems like he, he's just delivering vitriol towards his towards Brett Michaels' character, and like at this point in the film, you just feel like he deserves it. It's like, yeah, you're right, he does suck. We hate him yeah, too, yeah. Martin Sheen. Yeah, well, I mean, Martin it, it, Sheen probably actually hated his guts. He's <laughs> like, this guy's he's killing, killing my son. Real yeah, he's killing my son. He's wasting my time and my money to make this movie. Uh, <laughs> Martin Sheep probably want to fucking gut him like a fish. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but he shows up in the next movie in an even bigger role. So who who knows? Maybe this is oh, the only boy. way. To, this is the only way to recoup costs from. Well, I was kind of a downtime spending. for old Martin as well. And also, what what do we mean by next movie? I have no fucking idea. These are like they they probably filmed them like two days apart for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, possibly they seem like so. a back to back special. Now, 
that's actually my next question as we as we transition here into no code of conduct the second brett michaels directed and written film also i wouldn't say starring but he does get a little acting in I feel like this one came out second because the first thing they do is they don't give Brett Michaels more than three minutes of screen time. He's actually just in this for a few minutes. Now, another thing here is Brett Michaels is listed as the director, but I've seen Brett Michaels as a director. I believe he's the director of A Letter from Death Row. No code of conduct. Is it well-directed? No. Is it competently directed? Like not in a distracting way? Absolutely. So, uh, it, have we found any evidence, or can, well, is, do you guys believe my conspiracy theory that uh, No Code of Conduct was ghost-directed? Is, isn't this the, the one, because I, I feel like No Code for Conduct actually has a, it says directed by another guy, and then no, the last credit. Shockingly, it, that is a letter from Death Row. Oh, that's a letter from mm-hmm. Death Row that does yeah. that, because a letter from Death Row has, it has a director's credit, which isn't Brett Michaels, and then the last credit is co-directed by Brett Michaels. Like, he still gets in the last, like, most important credit for himself as the guy who probably stood next to someone else who took way too many of his ideas. Well, but, I mean, um, it, yeah. this, this discounts your entire theory, Steve. What, what you really should be saying is Brett Michaels, he's a perfectly competent director, but, you know, <laughs> he had to hand over the reins uh, because he was in front of the camera so much, and it, it's really... This Marvin Baker fellow who who really okay. is submarined the whole the whole letter from death row project. So it's it's not Brett Michaels, it's not Charlie Sheen's cocaine addiction. The problem we have identified is the second director second. from a letter from death row. Yeah, because I mean <laughs> this if, is the problem. If we can say anything about like no code for of conduct, it is that it is honestly, and it, this is a movie that has five credits for the screenplay, which is remarkable to me. Because otherwise mm. it feels like a cop movie written by chat GPT. Like this is what AI will be able to replace. This is literally like cop movie trademark. That's what this movie yeah. is. It's just utterly generic. There's nothing here you haven't seen or heard a billion times before. Oh, and it all yeah. just kind of plays out pretty solidly. But at no point in any like at no point are you surprised or impressed but uh, it's mm-hmm. it's all it is all there. It's definitely a ninety minute long genre movie. No, this is this is like every nineties DTV action movie that's currently streaming on Tubi, just put into a blender and and pureed into goo. Yep, uh, that's that's it. Um, now I, I hate to take a step backward after we've taken uh, such a big step forward talking about this movie, but I, I made the mistake of looking into Marvin Baker a little bit more just now. Um, he did a letter from death row. Uh, not a lot else on his resume. Right afterward, he did a movie called Films That Sucked. Uh, He's the expert. <laughs> Stick to what now, you know, right? <laughs> this is this is where I'm a little confused uh, because there's not a lot here. He's just like a guy. He hasn't done a ton. Uh, but under his Did You Know section, it says nickname, and then it just says Zipperhead, which I think isn't that like one of the like the racist terms that. Uh, Clint Eastwood calls people in in uh, Gran Torino, yeah. Fucking, Gran Torino, yeah. Is that just <laughs> so? His his nickname is just a racial epithet. Is that? Yeah, uh, it's it's a yeah person of East Asian descent. Google Google lets me know. I wasn't oh, sure. Okay. I knew it was a racist uh, term, but I honestly, I actually had no idea who it was directed towards. So, so then follow up question is. 
is he a white guy that, that people just call that? Or do people just yell racist things at him? And he's like, that's that's his nickname. <laughs> I mean, consider the company he keeps. Who the fuck could say? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Scumbag Central. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, sorry to, you know, swerve back into Marvin Baker territory. Uh, but yeah, uh, no code of conduct. It's just woefully generic. There's, there's really not a lot going on here. I will say, though, around maybe like the 30-minute mark, there's a little motel shootout. And for almost 30 seconds or so, the movie convinces me that it's kind of cool and okay. There's, a, there's a, like a nice car explosion crash thing going on. Uh, the, the shootout action is shot pretty competently. And did either of you feel like it could actually elevate itself to something a little bit better at that I actually, point? Or? I took note of that exact scene because there is the, the only thing in this film that I would say like, oh, this actually good work, guys. You did something is in that shootout. There's a part where they roll a car in the background mm -hmm. and, and a sheen or a stuntman, I guess, actually runs along in the foreground as the camera tracks the car rolling. And it's mm -hmm. actually... A little interesting. It's it's like you know it's it's a very generic car stunt by by putting a guy running along in the foreground along, and I think he may be and I think he may be running it to rear projection. I don't remember exactly how they how they did it, but it's like it actually elevates a really stock car stunt just a little bit. And yes, that that one scene, it's like oh that's something, and then the movie returned back to its just plodding generic uh, storyline. Mm -hmm. So oh well. It's nearly oh, there. Just, yeah, but for that one fleeting moment, you're like almost oh, there. Maybe, like, there's maybe, like three maybe. things. There's like three things in this movie that are good. I'd say four things in this movie that are almost like okay, could be good. Well, one is that stunt. Two, there's one scene where they run over a camera, and I think they broke it. It like pitches off wildly after the car goes <laughs> over the camera, and I, I'm not sure it was okay after that. And then there's also a scene where they knock over a homeless man. And he hits a bunch of bowling pins that are assembled in an alleyway in L.A. for no particular reason and knocks them all over. Thought that was like, yeah. OK, that's a whole thing. And then the fourth thing that's, Human bowling balls are always good. Yeah. And then the fourth thing that's somewhat good in this movie is Mark Dacascos being, again, pretty charming. And they do fucking nothing with it. It's it's just despair. But it's kind of like his whole career, frankly. We've, we've discussed mm -hmm. Steve Wang's drive on this podcast. We're all big fans of it. It's a great movie. It's an incredible insight into the career Mark Dacascos should have had. But instead, he kept showing up in these movies. And he's like, hey, I'm a martial artist. I can do flips and kicks. And they're like, that's fine. No, you don't need to yeah. do any of that. Just stand around. Don't do any of that. Just hold a gun just sometimes. There. And that's all he does in this movie. It's all he's he's he chokes a man out in one scene, which mm -hmm. anyone could do that. That's, you know, totally generic kind of a shame. It just kind of sucks. And then the rest of the movie is just Charlie Sheen doing stakeouts while wearing a fucking baseball cap with police written on it, which <laughs> like that's that's the movie. Incredible. I stuff. really like that because they're so my neighbor across the street, um, he's. I don't know what the fuck he is. I can't tell if he's like, like a, like a dog, the bounty hunter, or he just like wants to be a cop, but he's not. So he's like a fake cop, but he's got a car and it's like a bounty hunter car. And it's just like, Oh yeah. I'll chase down bail bonds. Mr. Bounty hunter, go cops, go. And he's got all this shit written on it. And all I can think about is like, listen, as someone who again, watched a lot of dog, the bounty hunter, what does dog, the bounty hunter drive around in? 
He drives around in a nondescript black SUV. If if I'm trying to like catch a guy who's skipped bail, I don't think showing up in my fucking Toyota Tacoma, whatever the fuck, that says Mr. Bounty Hunter on it in giant white letters is a good idea. It's yeah, I I don't know, but uh, yeah, Charlie Sheen wears a hat that says cop, so nobody knows that he's a cop. It's really good. Uh, Jack, I will say though, you definitely forgot about the fifth best part and the sixth best part of this movie. Uh, fifth is the fact that unlike uh, Letter from Death Row, Brett Michaels doesn't do like a weird accent the whole time, so that's a nice, you know. He is much better in this movie because he dies within two minutes. <laughs> exactly. And that's the sixth best part is he, he starts off and you're like, God damn, we're coming in hot with the Brett Michaels. And he only says about two words and then he gets stabbed in the neck and he dies. Well, I mean, and he, he looks, was he was obviously flushed out straight away. And not not a great actor. You know, they could they could immediately tell he was a guy. That's true. Brett Michaels is an yeah. undercover cop is a, a major stretch. I don't think he would he would function very well in that. Well, then again, in a letter death row, no. he's playing a, a writer, maybe. I guess he is a writer somehow, because if you have enough, if you're independently wealthy, you can be anything you want to be. I think he's a so, musician. He wrote, he wrote every rose has its thorn. Right? Like, <laughs> like they talk, uh, yeah, uh, Martin Sheen talks about how his song has been published or some shit. I don't fucking know. I think he was a, <laughs> yeah. a songwriter and then pivoted to writing a uh, novel in the form of a screenplay. <laughs> wow. It's just like the real Brett Michaels. It makes you think like reality and fiction intertwined seamlessly that's what brett michaels is going for <laughs> this is actually the movie's actually about the time he killed a hooker you know <laughs> mm-hmm. i uh yeah i don't know no code of conduct there's there's a couple of other weird things in here we were talking about this before we started recording but i think it's fucked up that okay so martin sheen in no code of conduct plays charlie sheen's father like in the movie yeah I'm sure that makes sense mm-hmm. uh we also have joe estevez in the movie, who looks exactly like a fucked up Martin Sheen. That's his whole yeah, shtick. Yeah. Is he he look it's like, oh, you can't afford real Martin Sheen. Here's wish.com Martin Sheen. <laughs> Generic Costco Martin Sheen. And he's gonna be in 300 movies a year. So if you give him like a fucking bag of McDonald's and a pat on the back, he'll be in your fucking movie. And he's here and he looks exactly like Martin Sheen, but he's not in any way related to Martin Sheen in the movie. He's just a mechanic named Poppy. <laughs> It's just Poppy. Old Poppy's here. What? He's oh, is Poppy related? Nope, nope. Poppy's not related. He's just Poppy. He gets like the best part of this movie, which is they they have this van they're hunting, and they're like they they eventually manage to impound it. And they're like, we're sure this van has been used to ferry drugs. So we need we know we, there's something in here everyone wants. We got to search it top to bottom, and so Poppy searches it top to bottom, and he's like, there's nothing in it. The van's totally clean. Well, there is that extra gas tank. <laughs> That's <laughs> huge revelation. Gets what's in gets what's in the second gas tank of the vehicle. Is 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 it drugs, Jack? It's, is it, it drugs? is drugs. Drugs. And you know what? You know who's peddling the drugs? Oh, it's not just bad guys, it's people in law enforcement. Wow. Real wow. they're not they're not afraid to go there in this movie. One thing I will say is also pretty funny about this movie is that its depiction of even the good cops, they are awful at their jobs they are just so staggeringly terrible at their jobs 
that they just like even like and it's not just like oh if you were a cop watching this you'd be like oh that's not you wouldn't do that that's a bad idea it's like even in the movie they just keep fucking everything up constantly um and it's just a running gag and it's like charlie sheen's just awful at his job and they're like man like his police officer captain dad is the only reason i think he's still around they're just terrible at everything and they keep getting people killed and losing suspects and breaking shit and uh, it's it's kind of i mean almost endearing at that point uh, that they're just so bad at their jobs uh, it's kind of like brett michaels and his various jobs that he's also really bad at <laughs> yeah you know it, it all kind of ties together in that way uh myros You've been kind of quiet on no code of conduct. I mean, do you are we underselling it? Was this a masterpiece in your eyes? I I, I feel like you're you're holding back some some real passion for this. One. I it's just like what the fuck do you say about this movie? Like I don't know. I it's like I have a passion for oatmeal. Yeah, it, it existed. <laughs> you know, I saw it. It wasn't even like it's like the least <laughs> remarkable film I've ever seen. Potentially, like it's just it's mm. not even like. Well, that was awful. No, no, it wasn't. It was just, it was there. This is like no yeah. discernible characteristic to this fucking movie. Yeah, it's it's like completely faceless, formless, forgettable, and perfectly neutral. It's almost it's like, almost I, a stunning accomplishment in that way, where it's like, wow, there is literally nothing to be stated about this film. No, imagine if you had to write up, like, like you're uh, fucking A.O. Scott or whatever, and you gotta review this movie. What the fuck do you even write about it? I mean, every so often it almost... There it was! It almost ramps up, like, towards the end, one of the, the main villains in this is, like, an Asian, an Asian lady, um... Who also is really bad at her job. Actually, the gangsters in this movie are what also. What do you think her nickname was on set? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, it couldn't because we would confuse her with Brett Michaels' good friend, director of his last <laughs> film. It, it wouldn't it's work true. out. It would, be, it would be too confusing. I'm sure they, they keep in touch. But uh, she, she <laughs> at some point, um, Charlie Sheen's wife is kidnapped and she has this weird lesbian entanglement with her that comes out of absolutely nowhere, but also just peters out almost instantly too which makes me feel like they tried to do something and maybe the actresses were like no or you know like i i don't know it's very hard to say um just every so often the movie tries it, it feels like maybe it's gonna you know kind of like do something that's a little bit like raunchy or risque or just interesting and then it just it's like it just goes no it's not our place and it goes straight back down to that like kind of two and a half out of five star kind of level of just like this is absolutely a dictionary definition of a film but no one will ever remember anything about this within 48 hours of watching it i had to take notes yeah. is the only way i'm remembering well, anything yeah, I guess about that's this. my problem is i i did not so i'm like uh <laughs> yeah jack's like there was a <laughs> lesbian encounter i'm like what why yeah. <laughs> are you sure that isn't part of your twisted mind jack because i don't recall that. are you, are you <laughs> claiming i could improve on the works of <laughs> brett michaels and his five screenwriting collaborators surely not this is this is the problem with with the cinema of brett michaels i feel like like we've gotten to the core of it which is i don't remember anything <laughs> I, I mean no when when we first were talking about like the brett michael stuff before it hit the patreon poll or anything like that in in like the group chat um because i've been talking about brett michaels for way too long but i was like haha brett michaels made a movie and then myros accurately pointed out hey dipshit you've seen it before i watched it with you and i had no recollection 
And then I watched, I watched Letter from Death Row again, and five minutes after, it was like it was gone from my brain. And that's the more memorable of the two. No code of conduct was like, it was fucking in and out of my body. It was like eating like a bucket of KFC. It's just like as I'm eating the to, chicken, it's coming out of my ass. To give an idea, I, to give an idea of how generic no code of conduct is, I did, I wrote down one line of dialogue from early in the movie. This line mm -hmm. of dialogue, I, I paraphrased it ever so slightly in the middle, but this is basically what they say. They say, we had a deal. You'd have, you'd have to, del you, sorry, you, we had a deal. You'd have the merchandise delivered to the abandoned warehouse. This is the movie. <laughs> it's literally like to the abandoned warehouse. They like, there's no details. There's nothing specific in this film. Yeah. It's no. Good guys and bad guys, a shootout, the end. It's just such a, a strange, like, ambling plot where it's like, I don't know what the fuck, how did any of the, like, principal characters beyond Martin Sheen and his crooked pal even fucking get involved in this goddamn thing? It has something to do with the sex work stakeout, which has nothing to do with Charlie Sheen. He just happens to be mm -hmm. like walking by or something. I don't even fucking know. It, and then, it's, yeah, it's a happenstance. It's like a prostitution sting, but it happens to be unfolding in the motel where they're doing a big drug deal. Yeah, and what is and, but uh, what is Charlie Sheen's connection to any of this? Frankly, I think isn't he isn't he staking out the no because he's got a desk job. Undercover. He's got the desk job, Jack. Well, I think they're doing an after mm -hmm. hours though, because I think because like I mentioned, they're all terrible at their jobs, which God. would make sense because the woman gets murdered because he doesn't protect her because he sucks at his job they sit in their car and uh, she goes in with a client and the radio is kind of breaking up so they just kind of sit around they're like eh whatever and then like all oh, shit breaks loose and they're like oh whoops oops uh oh what and also, then <laughs> that that woman yeah. that poor woman why did they fridge that woman she's not a, like a character she just has this weird awkward scene where she like tries to have sex with charlie sheen in the middle of the police precinct or something and then, but, but this, the narrative of this, we, we, we've seen a thousand DTV movies. The, Martin Sheen gets shot like fucking three times in this movie. Why you're supposed to kill the father. And then Charlie Sheen is like, no, I must avenge my father. It's like, no, Martin Sheen is just constantly shot, but always wearing a bulletproof vest and uh, responsibly safe. It is escapade. So it, it's very strange. And there's also this thing with the van where I was getting like ambulance flashbacks. I'm like, is this that sort of fucking movie? Like, oh, we got to get this van from A to B, but it's broken down. And then it's just like, no, five minutes later, Charlie Sheen and partner just like coincidentally fucking roll up on the van under a bridge. It's like, mm. why do we even introduce this element? <laughs> I'd it's bad. Look, look, thing. five men worked on this movie and they couldn't figure it out. So I think we just have to be happy to note this. <laughs> it couldn't be done. Larry Cohen no. couldn't work this out. Five <laughs> people worked on this and they were like, who knows why any of this fits together? But you know what? That's what we got. Yeah. We should be grateful I'm not for I'm talking about it as if remarkably strange things happen in the movie, but that no. that's inaccurate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to fill time. <laughs> gotta talk about something. It's, it's got just the barest of threads of like you know bad cop estranged from wife uh gets catches wind of big government conspiracy drug deal and then the end they have to run into a place and shoot some people and it turns out the big bad mm -hmm. guy wouldn't you know it he's like a major political figure who was introduced earlier in the film it's like 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I've seen that movie before. But here it is again, but for less. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, <laughs> here's a question for you. Before we get to putovers, I would like to know, now that we've seen the cinema of Bret Michaels, I think it's safe to say that with his vast career, over 30 years of valuable cultural contributions, maybe the movie's uh, not, not his best work. So my question for you today, and Myros, I'll let you go first on this one. What is Brett Michaels' most valuable contribution, culturally speaking? Well, I mean, I don't think there's like any good Poison songs, but maybe like, Unskitty bop? <laughs> is that the fucking answer? <laughs> I guess I'll go with your fucking piece of shit reality show because it's got to be better than everything else that exists. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Uh, Jack, how about you? You got you got a, a favorite Brett Michaels? You, you would think that the the man partially at least responsible for nothing but a good time would make his movies not be a bad time, but he he didn't do that. Um, yeah, Poison are. Man, they suck, don't they? They're yeah. they're really not yeah. good at all. Like like really like on the on the the totem pole of rock, it's like you got like rat is like I think for me like kind of in the middle. It's just like barely serviceable, and then underneath that you got like poison and motley crew, and I wouldn't even want to try and figure out which one of them sucks mm. more. Well, a poison um, sucks more. Any any song you're thinking of that's like, well, that's kind of catchy. It's a fucking Motley Cruz. <laughs> yeah. You know, it might be true. Um, then, yeah, I mean, honestly, the probably their best contribution is is the Every Rose is a Thorn joke and fucking whatever, Bill and Ted. That's, that's probably their great <laughs> contribution to the narrative of cinema, despite one of them having mm. made two movies. So... Yeah, I, I Rock of Love. I've seen two episodes of it. Both of them are terrifying and also better than these movies. So yeah, I I yeah. don't know. Um, it's it's difficult to say beyond that. Um, I'd say we yeah, could dig I further, mean, but I'm not going to. Listen, there's there's a lot of great moments in the history of television, but few hit the highest highs that Rock of Love season three episode one when a very drunk, possibly on drugs woman goes up to a bar, orders three buttery nipple shots, and proceeds to put one in her vagina so she can dump it in Brett Michaels' mouth. Sadly, not Just, on camera, which is not on camera, a real no. damn shame, but I did really appreciate that after that they cut in with another woman in like, like a Vox Pop segment saying that, you know, uh, you shouldn't do that. It's not classy, yeah. apparently. She's like, where I come from, you don't put shots. Yeah, in like she says that where I come from, and she's from Brazil, I believe. Uh, she's like, oh, we don't do that. And it's like, I don't think anyone does that anywhere. I think that's solely yeah. a VH1 thing now. Yeah, pretty much. So I, I was actually thinking about this quite a bit. I was like, what? What is the best Brett Michaels? Wait, wait. There, and, I've got oh, an answer, Steve. It appears he was a. He had a cameo in the Samo Hung CBS series Martial Law. That that must be the best. One. You gonna go with that? <laughs> that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Shit, that he that's convincing. Just plays, like every rose has its thorn for Samo. <laughs> like that's. The if 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 it happens in the film or in that show that Samo Hung kicks Brett Michael anywhere, that's his crowning achievement for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well. You know, for me, I, I I was thinking about it. Obviously, not a big Poison fan. Not my thing. Uh, the movies didn't do much for me. I am a huge, 
huge Rock of Love fan, but I thought, well, yeah, let's go beyond that. Is it perhaps his, uh, his win on Celebrity Apprentice? And then I said, no, that, that wasn't good enough. Was it at the Tony Awards in, I think it was like 2009, maybe, where something like, like some giant sign came down from the ceiling and smacked him in the face and broke his nose and knocked him on his ass while he was performing a song? And that's pretty cool, <laughs> but that's not it. And then I was, I was thinking some more, and I was like, mm, maybe it's his 2013 album, Jammin' with Friends. A uh, lot of great moments on there, including a cover, because he's got a cover himself. There's, on Jammin' with Friends, there's two covers of fucking Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Uh, one is called the country version. And here's the best part. The country version doesn't feature uh, country legend, Loretta Lynn, but there is another version of Every Rose Has Its Thorn that does feature Loretta Lynn, which was the last thing she recorded before she died weeks later. Uh, what a legacy. Some things you don't uh, live down. Yeah, there's all kinds of fucked up shit on here. Like, there's a cover. Is it a cover if you're just redoing your own song? I don't know. There's there's a cover of Talk Dirty to Me, uh, but it, it features Mark McGrath from fucking Sugar Ray. <laughs> it's great. It's great. We love it. Absolutely. This love sounds it. like a fucking album that was like custom made for fucking Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, it is. There's there's all kinds of crazy shit on here. There's multiple songs with uh that just feature Ace Freely and Michael Anthony, <laughs> which is <laughs> wild. And my there's a great moment on it too. He's there's an, one original song that he jams on with some friends, and that friend happens to be Jimmy Buffett, and it's called the App Song. And it's not about mozzarella sticks. It's about the, the dang Facebook and the Twitter. And uh, there's, there's just some great lines that I'd highly recommend you give that a listen. Uh, but he, he tells his girlfriend, uh, that it, it's about his girlfriend getting called a, a whore on Facebook. And he says, hold on, wait a minute, baby, just forget it. Don't let yourself get caught up in it. I know a good way to ease your tension. Unplug that thing and let's get reconnected. Really good shit. What the reconnected? Uh, Where does that fit into the rhyme scheme? I don't. Well, because he because he's like unconnecting and re it doesn't rhyme. Well, there's something. But it's also there's, kind of there's a move like... beyond that. I do really feel that these guys should probably like stick to mozzarella sticks. I think they probably know more about that. I mean, Buffett has yeah. probably written a song about mozzarella sticks. Who are we kidding? <laughs> oh, for sure. You think? I mean, come on. There's got to be one. Uh, it's certainly, I've had the mozzarella sticks at his now defunct restaurant chain. He probably wrote a song about them. Um, <laughs> probably in the training video is like fully soundtracked by Jimmy Buffett yeah fuck Jimmy Buffett I was banned for life from Cheeseburger in Paradise and I outlived Cheeseburger in Paradise so fuck well there you, is Jimmy still Buffett. the, the existing one I mean there were two somehow no there's there's no there's none there's left. no Margaritaville there no there's Margaritaville exactly. there's not Cheeseburger well, in know, Paradise but there were two inexplicably two oh. Jimmy Buffett restaurant chains uh, one of which yeah. still survives yeah, which I guess that that speaks to the popularity of the song because I, I think probably Margaritaville is a more popular tune, but uh, probably uh, the better yeah. song, frankly. Which is not saying a ton, I suppose. But should I try and get banned for life from Margaritaville now? I think you're obliged, right? <laughs> I might as well. Let's fucking do I mean, it. What are you gonna go twice? <laughs> I don't fucking think so. And I said, no, probably not. You go once, and then you get the the permanent ban. <laughs> This yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe maybe we'll do that next next time we're all hanging out. We'll go find a Margaritaville and do some fucking damage. Uh, 
Yeah, so anyways, it's not jamming with friends. It's not that album, despite me just talking about it for like five minutes. Let me fucking tell you what it is. I, I, I go back to Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. So many iconic moments, specifically in that first season and uh, there's parts of the third season too that I think are very special. However, my favorite thing is in season one, he has a catchphrase that he uses constantly, multiple times per episode. And then inexplicably, after season one, the catchphrase disappears. But he says, what's a going on about 8,000 times? <laughs> and there is a YouTube compilation. There's, there's not a ton of Rock of Love on YouTube, but there's a YouTube compilation that some guy made like a year ago, which is an inappropriate time to be making Rock of Love YouTube compilations. And it's just like every time Brett Michaels says, what's a going on, played like back to back to back. So that is... My number one Brett Michaels cultural contribution, his best. So you're moment. standing in judgment of this man making the compilation video, and yet this show has taken up like 15 minutes of our last four episodes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I don't. What is that a reference to? That that, that feels like a. a What's distinct... going on? I don't know either. Because I was <laughs> like, something. oh, is it like some like. Yeah, I was like this, like an Italian character from like SNL in 1980. I could hear it in my mind. What's it's, going it's like his take a what's what's, what's the matter you? On? It's it's yeah, what's the matter? Yeah, but then I then I figured out yeah, then I'm like oh, it's what's the matter you? But it's not. He says it like that, but he said what's the going on? And then is he doing that on? Is purpose? he even Italian? Is it a reference to something else? He no, he's he's from fucking like Pittsburgh <laughs> or something. <laughs> There's a lot of depth to this man. There's a lot of unknowns. I appreciate that. I don't know that. what the fuck he... Yeah, I mean, if you were to just watch him in A Letter from Death Row, you'd think he was from, like, some weird part of the South that doesn't actually exist. He's just a fucking diabetic guy from Pittsburgh. That's all. That's all. Uh, yeah, anyways, that's the cinema of Brett Michaels. What a moment. What a time. What, what, a, what fun we had this week. Uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Uh, you know, I am going to put over a film by Walter Hill directed uh, called Extreme Prejudice, which is better than these movies. Uh, and it's better than them for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is because Walter Hill knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Also, it stars Rip Torn and Nick Nolte and Powers Love Booth him. and uh, got uh, Michael Ironside and there's a who's who of dudes and also like small roles for like Mickey Jones who you know like you, you'll know him when you see him he's that guy who's in every 80s action movie for a small part and gets shot um, and it's, it kicks ass it, it's a weird movie it's like two different movies they kind of got awkwardly smashed together but uh, that kind of it's like a, a bunch of mercenaries doing something oh, also it's a canon movie so just you know run with that um, mm -hmm. and, and it's like a bunch of mercenaries hired to do a job, and the mercenaries are all like, you know, supposedly dead US soldiers, and then also there's a second story about Nick Nolte being a sheriff, and his best friend from childhood is now a drug dealer, and they're opposite sides of the law, and no, but neither half really fits together, but it doesn't really matter, because the movie's just macho as shit, and it's just full of cool stuff, and it's a massive gunfight, uh, like, kind of like the Wild Bunch, um and and it's great so yeah extreme prejudice and you can you can buy it for i see the blu-ray of it. it's like on vestron and the blu-ray goes for like 10 or 11 bucks a lot and one of the extras mm -hmm. on it is a literally a full hour long interview with walter hill which even if the movie sucked it would be worth buying the disc for that but the movie also Agreed. kicks ass so i i recommend picking up a copy if you, if you have the chance and he goes through 
A lot of his stuff, he talks about Sam Peckinpah. He makes fun of Netflix. He hits all the bases, really. So it's it's cool. That's all you need. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, you know, I haven't seen much I'm in love with this week, but I, I suppose probably the most interesting thing I watched. Well, that's a lie. That would probably be Tuki Buki, but that's it. A complicated text. Hard to recommend. Uh, probably the most fun, anyway, would be uh, Satan's Slave. Not not the one you're thinking of, the uh, sort of classy British production. This is uh, 1982's uh, Indonesian Satan's Slave, uh, which is... Mm. I don't know. It, it's not as crazy as, as something like you might be expecting if you're familiar with, like, Mystics in Bali or something like that, but it's just, it's it's kind of a fascinating object in that it is uh, really bizarre and cheap and amusing and, and, and essentially follows the structure of like an episode of Touched by an Angel or something where they, it's like a <laughs> deus ex fucking Muslim priest or something. I don't know what the proper term. I think it's Kie. Uh, but yeah, um, who just kind of like is not in the movie. His whole role in the movie is he, he keeps trying to come to these people's house and they're like, just why don't you go the fuck away, man? And then at the end, he just shows up and they like pray and everyone goes to the mosque and lives happily ever after. And it's, it's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, seven put out a Blu-ray of that too. So, uh, you know, available, available to watch. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's I think it was also, like yeah, it's, it's, it's streaming as well. I think it was on Shudder or maybe even Tubi. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably everything's, what's not yeah, on Tubi? Come on. Well, neither of these Brett Michael movies are on Tubi, which is fucked up because no. that's where they belong. Weird. Yeah, somebody must have snorted the rights because I, they're fucking hard to well, find. Well, <laughs> the Sheen's probably pulled like a, a Discovery HBO scheme and like somehow have destroyed all copies for tax purposes. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think the copies well, we watched, I, boy, they were low. I, they they might be DVD, yeah. but very shitty DVD. Yeah, there, yeah. There's a DVD release of yeah. A Letter from Death Row, because apparently there's like an extensive making of documentary that came with it, which honestly, wow. I'd almost be interested to seek that out just to see how they frame making this piece of shit. Like, it mm. would be, it, that would almost be interesting, because I just, you might yeah. get a glimpse into into the chaos but also i kind of never want to see these movies ever again so yeah mm, well torn i'm sure i can get you a copy if, if you're so inclined oh he's got a, he's got a dealer maybe my well, patreon vote number two making of documentaries <laughs> making of documentaries yeah <laughs> that'll, that'll go really well uh this week i'm putting over i'm putting over night moves 1975 gene hackman it's great it's uh kind of a a laid back hangout uh, like kind of cop kind of mystery movie but it's it's in the LA sense which is that you know a, a lot's going on and we're just kind of riding around with Gene Hackman it the, the story proper doesn't start until about 40 minutes in and you're just kind of broing down with Gene you're good with it and uh basically Gene Hackman is hired by some washed up actress to uh go down to Florida and and you know, get her daughter back because she ran away, uh, played by Melanie Griffith, who is uh, frequently naked and, uh, to my knowledge, not 18. (laughs) No, it's the 70s. It was a different, much more irresponsible time. 
Yeah, not as irresponsible as Bolero, but yeah. Uh, anyways, so yeah, he he goes down there, and, and but it's great because Hackman is fantastic. Uh, I like how he plays a forty-year-old man in this, and he's Gene Hackman. And he just looks like he's ninety at all times. And uh, yeah, there's there's a really great uh, boat scene at the end too. That's just well, it's worth it's worth mentioning, Steve. This, this was going to be my recommendation once upon a time for the the fabled optimism vaccine boat cast which oh, yeah, never happened and done. at this point can't happen i, th- I think boat cast is is better mm-hmm. better now as a, as it could have been rather than a concrete product yeah think of the boat cast that could have been and not the one that never was it was just gonna be three movies about boats i don't know why it never happened considering some of the other stuff we have committed to well i think it was initially a uh, shotgun wedding uh, concept which we we gave up on because we suck Oh, but yeah, I mean, we exactly. could still do it, but yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's more fun to talk about the boatcast than, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been anything. I think later on I was going to like, no, we should do Red Wolf instead, but there was no boatcast, so it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Here, well, I and, was going to ask now if they we have played Selena. the fucking Bob Seger song, but that's actually, now it came out a year later, now I have to wonder if the, the Bob Seger song was inspired by the Gene Hackman's adventures. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think we should never do the boat cast, and that way, at some point, if someone's just like, "Man, you know, you guys, this podcast never got never got real big. Why why do you think that is?" Like, say we never did the fucking boat cast. You know, we yeah. When when we get to VH1 behind the podcast, when we're when we're on that that show, which will definitely yeah. happen, we got to be careful though, because we did do plane, and I feel like mm. we're we're at hair's breadth because I think the sequel to that might be on a boat. So like oh, this boat adjacent wow. stuff that we might stumble into. So we gotta we gotta we gotta keep yeah. keep our wits about us here. They'll try and trick us. They'll try and lead us astray. We gotta stay strong. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, boatcast was actually part of the boat. Patreon poll. You'll just never fucking know it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, hey, speaking of the Patreon poll, uh, thank you to our loyal patrons for choosing this this wonderful episode from. Uh, a list of bullshit that I put together. Um, <laughs> I I want to know if like anybody actually had any idea what they were voting for. That that would be. Do you actually have the poll up, Myros? Can you can you read the the different the the topics that I? I put up there? Uh, one second. I do have the Patreon up, so that should not be an issue. I wouldn't think. Uh, we have. Uh, didn't we go over this on the last episode, Steve? Uh, always compelling stuff. Know. We had Don't Need yeah. Nothing But a Good Movie Watching Time. We had One Night with Paris. We had Glide on the Meat Train. Great. Just, you really were driving people to, to <laughs> that fucking choice. Glide on the Meat Train. And uh, Thunder yeah. Bussy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, they, chose, they chose the least sexual one. That's interesting. I mean, Here considering I some of the degenerate. sexual content we've covered on this, it's probably just wise to keep us, keep us away. Yeah. Keep us away from that bussy. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyways, thank you, loyal patrons. And if if you're interested in becoming a loyal patron and, you know, getting to vote on things like, do I go with Brett Michaels or Thunder Bussy? Uh, here's how you do it. There's a link in the description of this podcast that will take you to our Patreon page. And you can become a patron. Now, at the lowest level, what do you get? Well, you get access to a big back catalog of exclusive Optimism Vaccine content, both written and recorded. And uh, you also get a special gift. If, no matter how much you donate, if you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send you a movie 
from my personal collection. Perhaps it is a DVD copy of A Letter from Death Row. You will never know until you give me money. So, uh, yeah, and, and it's a great time. It's a great time to donate money to Optimism Vaccine. Why is it a great time? Because I don't have a fucking job. What am I doing? I'm just, think of all the wonderful podcast content we could potentially create because I have nothing else to do right now. Uh, now, if you donate at a higher level, then you get to vote on polls like the one we provided to you this past week or the week before that gave us this beautiful episode. And additionally, you get a shout out on air. And Myros, who is at that five and above tier? Uh, we have Hoofy Hoof, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Saints, every last one of them. And then at that highest tier, the very highest. If you really want to be a ride or die, a diehard, if you want to be the C.C. DeVille to Optimism Vaccines, Brett Michaels, how do you do that? Well, you can donate at that, that highest level, that $25 level. And what does that get you? Well, if you do it every month, goddamn, you're like our favorite person. Uh, but it, if you just want to go up and, and do it one time, that's fine, too. We know that like shit's expensive. And uh, if you donate $25 for that $25, you get to choose an episode, a whole, like not, not from a list, not from a poll. You get to fucking choose it. Whatever the fuck you want. You want to watch, you want to make Adam Myros watch hentai. You want to make Adam Myros watch the whale. You want to watch, make him watch the, the porn parody of the whale. You can do so that. There's a porn parody of the whale. There's gotta be a porn parody. Jack, is there a porn parody of the whale? I'm going to just say yes. On I, a figure, I feel like pornography you know, if, has evolved past the, the porn parody era at this point. Adam, I can tell you it absolutely has not um somebody fucking asked siri what's going yeah let me uh, what's what's the going no, they're on? still Hold making on. porn parodies of everything i'm looking it up i'm looking it up googling in real time i don't i don't know about content. the whale but i feel like yeah i mean, I mean once people love it, those bbws jack i'm sure that the, <laughs> they're just gonna <laughs> look once, once you make a porn parody of spongebob everything is on on the table and they're still making superhero movies. and the avatar they made that big porn parody avatar First oh. one came out. They got to oh, fall that, that, that up. Jack, that, that way was, water's here. That was a long time ago. I hate to tell you. That was a long time uh, ago. It's still going. Okay, so... it. Do, I, I don't know. I can't find it just from a simple Google search. Uh, but there is something that comes up. It's, it's like the second result. And it's from Pornhub. And it just says, Green Porn Whale Gay Porn Videos. Well, I, so as, as I understand it, just from cultural osmosis, I, I do believe that the whale... Uh, opens with a, him watching a gay porn video. So perhaps that is the the actual porn featured in the whale. Oh, oh, well, that's great. We'll watch that too. And do, do you get to see Brendan Fraser like jack off? Or like, yeah, I think that's what's that? going that on. You got I think he's, as I understand it, again, have not and hopefully will not ever see this movie. But but as as described on a podcast I I frequently listen to, I believe the film opens with him. Uh, yeah, jacking off to this uh, gay porn video and having a heart attack. It's kind of a good move. Name a guy who's just jacked it in in like a, a major film and not gotten at least an Oscar nomination. He, he almost jacks it to he death. He, he has a heart attack mid-jack. Mid what a great way to go. Unless unless you're just like edging and you don't like get there at the end and then you die. You know, at least let him finish. Uh, but hey, enough about fat Brendan Fraser jacking his dick. Um if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, links to porn parodies of the whale, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine, and we'd love to hear from you. 
And I think that's wait, everything. Wait, I have so, a, I have a, an update, Steve. Uh, okay, like one of the one of the first results is uh, it's a result from TNA Flicks, which says uh, the the result that has has been I don't know somehow triggered by this uh, whale porn parody is uh, that it is showing me results for Super Chub Huge Natural Tits Whale. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's that. I would actually. So, if uh, would I watch the whale? No. Would I watch Super Chub Natural Tits Whale? Huge natural Maybe. tits, all one word. Huge yeah. natural tits. I, it could just be the whale, though, because you. I mean, I've saw that fat suit. He's got to have some. Well, huge they're natural not natural, right? There, right? They're inherently artificial, Steve. Well, they're artificial, but like in the movie, we're in we're in the movie. We're with the character here, like that that guy, the character he plays has big naturals, right? Yeah, fair enough. I suppose he would. I feel I feel like this this is turning into pretty much what we would be discussing if we did actually do an episode about the whale. <laughs> yeah, that's that's we answer all the hard questions that they're not fucking talking about. Like you know, it's it, none of none of those critics at the New York Times are asking whether or not. Brendan Fraser has big naturals. This is, and now, and now I'm adamant that I have to provide Adam with a list of like recent porn parodies because I'm almost certain they're still making them, but I don't know mm -hmm. which ones off the top of my head. And googling, I'm not finding them yet, but I'm going to. It's gonna win. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I, I, I'll take your word for it, Jake. I mean, they've been making yeah. them definitely up to like 2010 is when it stops returning from obvious searches, but I refuse to believe that just like 13 years ago, they just straight cut off making porn parodies. Well, I mean, They're I watching think the, 13 the, years the ago, they just don't watch them now. It's, it's a streaming industry now. You short form pornography. They're I not... think it was a streaming industry in 2013, too. Well, you said 2010. That, that's much oh, more. 20, we... Oh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> we were, we were firmly in transition at that point. I, I... I think I found some from 2013, but anyhow, well, that's just the dying yeah. remnants, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week.